I love that. Happy Mother's Day and may the peace of Christ be with all of you. I'm thinking of a story that has to do with the census being taken. It's one of those things that's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle here with the COVID-19 crisis. But this story is about a census taker who walks up to a house and he rings the doorbell. And the mother of the house comes to the door and he says, how many children are in your house? She had a lot of children, so she stopped and she said, well, let's see. There's John and there's Mary and there's Peter. And he interrupted her very impatiently and he said, I don't want names, I want numbers. She looked at him somewhat offended and said, my children don't have numbers, they have names. And this is the way God's love is. God's love names each and every one of us, knows us personally, loves us, the just and the unjust. The story of Jonah that we've been in for several weeks now begins with God sending Jonah to cry out uh, against the wickedness of the Ninevites. And Jonah goes the other direction and decides he doesn't want to go to Nineveh and a storm disrupts his fleeing and he ends up being in the belly of a whale and brought back and that's where we're going to pick up the story but what we haven't really talked about the last two weeks is Nineveh and the wickedness of Nineveh and Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria it was known for being a very violent and oppressive and cruel people culture and ultimately will be the empire that brings Israel down. So if you could say uh, Israel had an enemy at that time, um, Nineveh was the epitome of that enemy. So with that in mind, I'm gonna lead us in prayer, and we are gonna be in Jonah, the prophet Jonah, who's about four prophets into the minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament. I'm going to pray and we'll be in Jonah 3. Let's pray. Loving God, you speak your word to us fully in Jesus Christ and you are here with us now, wherever we may be, present with us, and we pray that you would speak your word to us now, in this day, in this time, in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Jonah chapter 3, beginning of verse 1 and going into chapter 2, verse 2. Listen to God's word to you. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock, shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. 
Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. It's almost like there's two different campaigns going on here, two very different agendas, Jonah's and God's. And Jonah's agenda was almost like a military campaign like going in to find the enemy, to search and destroy. It makes me think of the Osama bin Laden going after him, and when you find him, you're going to destroy him. So he cries out, 40 days more, Nineveh shall be overthrown. And that's exactly what he wanted, Nineveh to be overthrown. And then you have the agenda of God, which is more like a fierce mother, whose son is Osama bin Laden, if you will who wants to see the Ninevites repent and be saved. And in scripture, 40, that number is a biblical number you find throughout the biblical story, and it's filled with hope. So when you have 40 anything, you've got the 40 days and 40 nights when it was raining, um, and Noah's ark was out there with the animals. It was meant to be a new beginning, a purging, a cleansing from evil. When you have the people taken out of Egypt and slavery in Egypt and they're in the wilderness for 40 years, it's meant to be a new beginning of learning how to trust God. And when you have Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days and fasting and being tempted by Satan, it's an opportunity to show an example of how Jesus' way overcomes the devils. Eugene Peterson calls this 40, these days, a womb giving new birth, a new beginning. So God is not on a military campaign. He doesn't want to destroy the wicked. He doesn't want to destroy the Ninevites, but he's on a mission of love to bring them back. And that makes Jonah mad, really mad. Is he mad because it makes him look bad? Because he said something was going to happen and then it didn't happen? Is he mad because he really did want to see the cruel and evil Ninevites get destroyed and brought down, have their reckoning, their day of reckoning? Maybe both. But the best line in the scripture, this passage I just read, is this, when he says, I knew it. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. In some ways, Jonah knew it and he didn't really know it. In this story, we have the chance to see what Jonah really can't see. And that is, the one who receives the most mercy from God is really Jonah. You stop and look at how many times God shows mercy to Jonah. 
in the story. I count five. First of all, he's fleeing from God's presence. He's told to do one thing and he goes the opposite direction. To flee from God's presence is the ultimate hell. That's death itself, and yet God shows him mercy. Then he's thrown into the sea after God stirs up a storm, and the sailors on that boat know that if they throw Jonah overboard that he's going to die. He doesn't die. God shows mercy. He's swallowed by a whale. Everybody knows that if you're swallowed by a whale, that's sure death, right? But he prays inside the whale, and he's rescued once again. God shows mercy. Then he has, at the beginning of our passage, a second chance. Second chance to do what he had been told to do in the first place. God shows mercy, gives him a brand new beginning. And then you've got in chapter 4, he's filled with insubordination and, and just this ingrate, and he's mad, and he's rising up against God because God is doing exactly what God does. And yet God shows mercy there too. So if you're going to look at who's wicked in this story, you put Jonah, and that's what the story does, side by side. Jonah's the Hebrew, Jonah's the prophet, Jonah's part of the chosen people, and you've got Jonah side by side with those who are not Hebrews, who are not a part of the chosen people, and Jonah is behaving more wickedly than they are at just about every turn. You have at the beginning in that ship when the storm is just at full tilt, and all the sailors who are not Hebrews are praying and telling Jonah, who's the only one not praying, to pray. And then by the end of that chapter, they're bowing down to Jonah's God. You have the whole rest of creation being obedient to what God's asking them to do. We'll focus on that next week, how nature is teacher, teaching obedience. Jonah's not obedient. And then in our passage, we have like the ultimate picture of responsiveness to God's word. The way they respond in Nineveh, when Jonah's only gone, says it's a three days journey across, he's only gone like one day in, he's only said about five words, and all of a sudden they are all repentant and doing all the activities of repentance, sackcloth and ashes, not just the people, but the animals too. And you've got the king, who you would think would be totally intimidated by someone coming in like Jonah. Instead, he completely responds, takes his robes off, sackcloth, ashes, sends out a decree. Everyone in the whole city and the animals will fast, will do the acts of repentance, turn from their evil ways. It's almost like those of you who are parents and you have someone in your household who doesn't want to clean their room, one of your children, you're like, you only say, well, I'll give you like two hours to clean your room. You haven't even finished the sentence. And they're not only cleaning their room, they are so repentant. It's like, what happened? So this is so extreme. Who's more wicked in this story? Jonah, the Hebrew prophet, with his very good theology, or the non-Hebrew people who respond completely respond to God in a way that Israel never did. It's a good thing that God is not out to destroy the wicked, but to save. So when we read this story, of course, we are asked to think about what it means for our context. Where is wickedness around us now? When I was in my small group on Friday afternoon, we were asking this question among ourselves, where we see wickedness, violence, oppression, cruelty. And the difficult thing, again, is that when we do see wickedness and wicked people, 
it's hard not to want them to be destroyed. I mean, some people were just very honest. Certain people you wish, why don't they get COVID-19? Not the right thing to be saying, but there is that desire to have those who are enemies to be overthrown and brought down. Also, there is this temptation to think of the good people or the evil people, and of course, we're on the side of the good people. That's not what God sees. What God sees is more like a fierce mother going after her lost children. We definitely see that in Jesus Christ. There's a certain point in his journey later in the Gospel of Matthew where he is looking out over Jerusalem and grieving and lamenting the violence and the oppression and the murder. And he cries these words, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hand gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. The fierce love of a mother, not out to destroy, but to love them back, to love them, all of her children, into healing and wholeness again. One thing that I've started doing during this shelter in place is listening to the podcast that uh, Mark Laverton, who's the president of Fuller Seminary, uh, interviews various people, and the podcast is called Conversing. And I love it. It's uh, people of faith who are doing a variety of things in the world, and uh, I think it was last year that he interviewed uh, Father Gregory Boyle. And I've always loved Father Gregory Boyle. Um, many of you have heard his name as well. He's written several books, but he's the one that has been working for 25 plus years down in Los Angeles uh, with a gang intervention program um, that has just been the largest gang intervention program in the world, literally. So as he was talking with Mark, he was telling a little of his faith journey and how he grew up Catholic and in a large family with eight children. And then when he was about to get launched into the priesthood, he spent time, I think it was in Bolivia, but in South America, a year with the poor. And he was supposed to come back and actually work at Santa Clara University and work with campus ministry. But when he came back from Bolivia, he really, really wanted to work with the poor. He felt like that was really important. So they put him in the poorest church parish of all, which was the Dolores Mission down in Southern California, the LA area, that had the largest concentration of gangs anywhere. And as he began to get to know them, there was nothing going on uh, working with gangs. He just got to know them and to love them. And he began to realize they need jobs, they need ways to get out of gangbanging. They don't want to do this. They don't have a lot of choices. So started these programs, one program after another, and he said at first he used to get hate mail and a lot of resistance from people in the city because they didn't want him basically being nice to these wicked, wicked people. And then eventually they began to see it as a partnership. And just hearing him talk, he said, I've never met one, a gang member that's a bad person. He just sees them as God's beloved, as a human being who's had a tough road and not a lot of choices. And in the midst of talking to Mark, he told a story about his own mother 
when she was dying. And as she was on her deathbed and Father Gregory was spending a lot of time with her and he was actually there when she died, he said one by one his siblings, brothers and sisters, would come by and see her and be by her bed. And his mother was just an amazing woman of faith who was unafraid. She said something like, I've never done this before, like it was a big adventure. And she was just ready but uh, ebbing away. But as each one of the siblings came in, he said that she would exclaim over their presence, each one individually, and say the same thing, which just this breathless wonder, this mother's love. Oh, you're here. And he loved that phrase because he sees that as the way God looks at each one of us, and especially those who are in gangs. Oh, you're here. You've come back in the fullness of my love. God's love for each one of us. God hates wickedness, but he's not out to destroy us, but to love us back into wholeness. Well, the story of Jonah actually ends with Jonah still mad while God is arguing for the sake of God's mercy. And it ends with God asking this question. I want to read it to you. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? And God sees something different in that description of Nineveh as that great city. Jonah sees that great city as great with wickedness that deserves to be destroyed. Jonah sees that great city as precious ones. Each one has a name and is God's beloved. So the question doesn't get answered. Jonah doesn't answer it. She's just dangling. But God answers it. 400 years, no, more than that. Hundreds of years later, God answers that question in the person of Jesus Christ, who said these famous words in John chapter 3, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus said that. Jesus lived that. But people didn't like that answer. That's not the way you win against the enemy. You don't show them mercy, you destroy them. And they try to destroy Jesus to prove their point. But God's love cannot be extinguished. Good thing. Jesus was raised from the dead and is raising us up with him. Good thing. Because God's love is fierce. It's fierce like a mother who won't ever give up on loving her children back into wholeness so that she can exclaim over them, oh, you're here. And God's love doesn't give up on us, raising us up so that we can love like that too, so that we can look around and see the people who are enemy, who are wicked, 
And instead of wanting them destroyed, to be praying and hoping for God's love to call them back. Oh, you are here. Let's pray. In the silence, I invite you to consider God's mercy toward you. How is it that you are alive this day because of God's mercy? And in this silence, consider those who are cruel, who are violent, who are wicked. Let God's mother's eyes and heart fill you and me so that we can pray for them now. Risen and loving God, in Jesus Christ, raise us up to know your love and live your love. Amen.